This podcast is free and it's accessible to everyone thanks to support from listeners like you. If you value this show, please consider supporting its production by donating to our home, KUOW. It only takes a minute to give and you'll be helping to support the production of this podcast. Make a donation at KUOW.org or follow the link in the show notes. And thanks. Welcome to KUOW Speakers Forum. I'm your host, John O'Brien. In this episode, we've been fans of Lit Crawl Seattle for years now on Speakers Forum. The event always makes and holds space for an embarrassment of local literary riches. And if one happens to enjoy a favorite beverage along the way, all the better. As with many other events, the coronavirus pandemic shuttered Lit Crawl last year. This year, on the cusp of a hopefully sustained reopening, the organizers invited fans to mask up and keep the spirit of Lit Crawl alive with a night of poetry and storytelling. The event started with poems from the Seattle Arts and Lectures Youth Poet Laureate cohort, presented by SAL's Director of Education, Alicia Craven. Our two featured poets, Abby Polakoff and Patricia Humanick. Our three, hosted by Jack Straw, Writers Program Curator E.J. Coe, included C.R. Glasgow, Jose Luis Montero, and Greg November. And the program ended with Washington State Poet Laureate, Rena Priest. We'll have to tease you here with the opening reading of each contributor. You can hear the full presentation of each hour on our website, kuow.org slash speakers. Lit Crawl Seattle is a project of the Lit Quake Foundation. Hugo House hosted this event on October 17th. Hugo House's Jason Glover provided some of our recordings. Lit Crawl Seattle's managing director, Jakiva Phillips, served as moderator. Please note, this recording contains themes of an adult nature. Welcome, everybody, to Lit Crawl 2021! Woo-hoo! I am so happy to see all of you here tonight. Thank you so much. I am Jakiva Phillips. I'm the managing director of Lit Crawl Seattle, and I cannot tell you how much fun it is to have Lit Crawl back. Now, even though this is more of a bridged version, we are so happy to welcome and have our Youth Poet Laureates read tonight. Normally what happens in Lit Crawl is like we take to the streets, we take over all of the bars, the restaurants, the libraries, any crevice of Capitol Hill that we can, and we invite free readings to the public. And uh, two years ago, in 2019, we had 20 different venues. We had over a 300 readers. And so, uh, of course, this year we cannot do that. But um, we're having a bit of an abridged version where we're partnering with our friends at the Hugo House, and they're going to be housing us. So please give a big round of applause for Hugo House for having Lit Crawl Seattle. It's an amazing way for us uh, to share in the community, to open up the doors and allow free readings to the public, to allow low-cost readings to the public, and to just really share 
and what makes Seattle great. Um, so thank you to all of you. Give yourselves and your neighbors a round of applause for coming out and supporting all of Seattle's amazing local talent. And then also, we got to give it up, and I need you to give an extra special loud round of applause for Seattle Arts and Lectures. Thank you so much, S. Sal for creating a program like Youth Poet Laureate and for creating just a space for this to happen. So without further ado, I'm going to give the floor to a very wonderful human, very delightful. Please give it up for Alicia Craven, everybody. So I, am, I cannot wait to introduce you all to um, our Youth Poet Laureate crew from uh, the 2021-2022 year. Um, the Youth Poet Laureate program uh, is, aims to identify youth writers and leaders committed to poetry, performance, civic and community engagement, education, and equity across the Puget Sound region. So this cohort, um, they write and work together um, throughout the school year across numerous venues, and they share their powerful voices and their leadership and love um, of writing with the Puget Sound region um, through community work throughout the year. And the writers Arianne True and Laura Day serve as the mentors for the program. And the Youth Poet Laureate um, program also publishes a poetry collection that's released in May um, with Poetry Northwest editions um, from one Youth Poet Laureate. And that's when the next Youth Poet Laureate is announced, too. So applications for the program open every year in March. So if you know young poets um, that would be interested, um, let them know. And you can see each of the poets who are reading tonight a video of their work and read more about them on the Seattle um, uh, Poet Laureate page of Seattle Arts and Lectures. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to our first poet. Oh, and just as a side note for people that are um, first at Lit Crawl, as you're hearing lines that you love, images that you love, please support the poets by rubbing your hands or snapping just to show um, that you're listening and, and loving their work. Um, so Ayana Islas is an up-and-coming poet and artist. He is 17 years old and aspires to help give a voice to the underrepresented, whether it's queer use or the most unlikely of readers. Please give it up for Ayana. Hello. My first poem is titled Summer. Summer, the feeling the bright rays have taken refuge in my body. In short, I feel summery today. So in summary, the sky got bleached with chlorine and blue food dye today. I felt like letting my joyful tears kiss the ground again today. I wish to warmly ink your skin with love poems and hidden blushes today. I wish though my literal existence is not near you, I hope you smile today, because I have smiled today. The rarity was a slight downturn in my mouth today, 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 today. I lean on a Friday in the presence of 208, however today seems too slow, so I wish to be in the past tense of five with you. Reaching out for broken pages of a masterpiece seems pointless today, because you are the point that guides the map of a wink today. I wish to petition a non-existent God to create a mini sun over your hand today so that it interlaces its rays between your fingers today so that you might realize what it feels like to hold hands with the sun today. So yes, I feel summery today. Though the fog looms in empty spaces of my room, I am holding onto sunshine. I am holding onto you, my dear summer. Thank you so much, Ayana. 
Next up, please welcome Bela Cohen Knott. Bela Cohen Knott, she, her, is a high school student in Seattle. She loves people watching and playing with words and delights in exploring those things through writing. Please join me in welcoming Bela. Hello. I'm not going to let you go till you're a hundred. A squeeze, a smoosh, a tap, a hug. My grandma tells me she's going to hold on to me tight till I'm 15. Then when that happens, she says, no, that's not what she said. She's holding me tight till I'm 17. Giving a good hug doesn't make the other person want to slither out the bottom. No ears should be bent. A good hug feels like fitting the last piece into a thousand-piece puzzle. If you're the taller one, do bend down to reach the other, because if you don't, they will have a very serious case of bent ears and possible closure of their airway. If you are the shorter one, stand on your tippy toes if you can. It's fun, no other reason. A satisfactory hug will bring your chin to the top of their shoulder, and you feel as though you could hang there. Like a sloth, you could stretch your body slowly, dripping down, and look up at their face, and the heat of that cuteness will melt them. Hugs come in all shapes and sizes. A comforting hug is different from an I've missed you hug. If someone is crying, offer your chest and offer all, ignore all of my previous statements about squished ears. One of the best feelings in the world is during an I've missed you hug, when your love is seeping out your pores and scenting your clothing, and maybe you soften your arms, thinking the hug is done. But then they don't let go. And you squeeze even tighter, and now not letting go for years doesn't seem like a bad option. Congratulations, Vela. Next up, please join me in welcoming Henry Morgan. Henry Morgan is a sophomore in the Seattle area. His interest in poetry is a relatively recent evolution of his broader interest in creative writing. He's a bit melodramatic and a bit verbose, but in the end, he just wants to write things people will enjoy. Please join me in welcoming Henry. <laughs> Hello. You two very hard acts to follow. Um, <clears throat> uh, this first one uh, hopefully uh, leans into that melodramatic a bit. This one's called A Pre-Exhibition Ramble. <clears throat> As it stands, I have reached a breaking point. If I do not take action soon, I will shatter. Furthermore, I will have failed not just the people around me, but more importantly, myself. I need to pull myself from this mindset of wanting to do things but not having the will to do them. I have tried before to drag myself from this accursed doldrum so many times, but I can't do it by myself. If I could have, I would have. I need a warden, a castellan, a freaking accountability buddy. I need help. There, I said it, and I said it many times before, but each time it turned out to be a lie. But this time, I don't say it for the watching eyes, I don't say it for my parents' cries. I say it for the sake of me, myself, and I. I want to sigh, I want to cry, I want to throw it all away and say goodbye. But I can't, and I won't. This is a test of will, and I will not shake, I will not quiver, I will not quake. I will not shatter, I cannot break. Um. Thank you so much, Henry. Next up, please join me in welcoming Sejal Akarkar. 
an introverted poet, entrepreneur, teacher, dancer, and constant napper. Her writing explores life's mind-bending paths of self-acceptance and love in this unhinged world. As a woman of color, she feels the need to shine a light on the hardships that women, immigrants, and Asian Americans face through her poetry. Please join me in welcoming Sejil. Hi, everyone. Okay, so my first poem is called Compost. Losing a best friend is like losing a part of yourself. They help you blossom, and without them, you can't keep growing. They are the water to your roots, raining on you, pouring their heart and soul into making you happy. They seep through you, unnoticed of the good change, but flagrant of what sets you apart. There are droughts, and as we swallow one last drop, we lose the sun, fueling the sunlight. Two solstices reflecting off of each other from cornerstones of the room, mirrored bodies for the annual coil of time. Shriveled happiness can crumble, and sadness rises. The moon stays a little bit longer. Snow falls off our skin, plucked by the clouds that stay a little bit longer. Eyelids open to the same darkness that is within, which stays just a little bit longer. Hands reach out, filled of warmth, to make up for the frigidness inside. Is anyone home? Closed eyes to candles, through time, days, blending into each other. I wish to live life. Truly live, feel the edges of death keeping my eyelids open, confetti on my pillow celebrating that slumber smile for once. Pen stops invisible ink, I only exist to the end of my time. I have nothing else to write, birthday wish come true. Thank you so much, Sejil. All right, our final reader of this portion of the Youth Poet Laureate reading is Tallulah Shaughnessy. Tallulah is a junior who enjoys antique aesthetics, lovely art, and holding hands with her friends. She's been writing since she was teeny tiny and is honored to be in this writing community this year. Please join me in welcoming Tallulah. Uh, This first one is untitled, but it is about a cow. A town fellow with an automobile that sent smoke reeling in the dust brought her in from the drought. She looked just like a peach, like a goddess of motherhood. I wanted to grow up with her. My teeth grew in strong, and she got well and bright as May fell to June, and the crickets got loud, a portrait of baby grain. We brought out the porcelain in the day. I had jobs to do. Under the hot stairs in the pasture, I slept by the barn, and a little perfect breeze slipped by. My best cow and her sweet calf, who I named for the gardens, slumbered through the harvest time in meditation I couldn't grasp. The sky looked so wide above them, I never wanted to leave home. Thank you so much, Tulula. Can we have one more big round of applause for all these writers? And again, you can see them reading works um, on the Seattle Arts and Lectures page under the youth section. So thank you all again. Keep it up. <laughs> Abby Polikoff is a Seattle-based writer and book artist with work forthcoming um, and found in Kaleidoscoped, The Seventh Wave, Eco Theo, The Shore, and Denver Quarterly, among many others. She is a 2021 Drax Straw Writers Fellow, and she has also held fellowships and residencies at the Hugo House, the Seattle Review of Books, and the Alice. Currently, Abby is the events manager for Open Books. Woo-woo! Open Books! 
a poem emporium. Yes. And managing editor for Poetry Northwest Editions, along with many other hats. I feel you on that one. <laughs> like, um, she received her MFA from University of Washington. You can find out more about Abby Polikoff, oddly enough, at abbypolikoff.com. All right. So please give Abby a nice, warm welcome. Abby. Thank you so much, everyone, for being here. Um, Wow. (laughs) Feeling a little emotional at an in-person reading. This is kind of wild. It hasn't happened in a very long time, so it's really special. Um, I want to give a big thank you to Jakiva for organizing this and making sure everything is just fantastic and safe, and to Hugo House for opening up its doors for community and for writing. It's a really beautiful moment. And thank you all for being here in person. And to my fellow reader, Patrizia, it's a real joy to get to read with you today. Um, I've known you in the community for a while, and it's nice to be able to share a microphone and see how our work reverberates against one another's. I am going to read some new poems. I've been writing into a new project recently that has kind of started to coalesce itself a little bit, thinking about change and circularity and repetition and stagnation and how the same can evolve and still be the same all at the same time. I didn't say the same enough in that sentence. Um, So I'm going to read a couple of poems and take it from there. Here's the space I carry. Here's the space that's empty. So let's talk then about unruliness. How it defies the joys of order and everything that's missed. Let's talk about how we're always so set on defining our spaces that the shutter of some unplanned entropy leaves the body closed to what it's hiding. And isn't it always hiding something? Let's talk about how, instead of showing what we're hiding, we hide ourselves behind how we're always open. Open arms, open-mouthed, open to error, open to joy. Isn't that the flaw in the binary? Open, 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 and isn't it so goddamn tiring? So then, stretch. Stretch, and instead, that's another hide, another answerless seek. The shoulder so stretched, it's elastic. So stretched, it's as thin as the air it's made of, disembodied into spacelessness. And isn't that just the body's way of returning to its shadowless chaos, its truest confidence? So much for shoulders or the arteries that follow, thinning themselves so they can't bear the swelling of some new feeling. Let's talk about this new state. Isn't it swell? Isn't translucency grand? Isn't it nice to be so open there's nothing left to close? This gaping transformation, so expansive the sun can't see what it's warming. Let's talk about warmth. Let's talk about how it's all the dried flowers with their prickled stems, stiff in their mockery of what it means to be green or purple or cornflower, want to slip their absent roots into. Wouldn't you? 
Wouldn't you want to believe in the body at its full, supple glory? Or, in this new translucent state, let's talk about how the swollen body is so tired it can't recover itself. It's flexion. It's tension, a sigh of what's weak. When each step is made to tremble, how else does the body recover? And after such expansion, let's talk about the turning inward, back to protective nets, layers and layers of pulsing order over brimming with borders and brimming just enough. These are oversold spaces. Full of brim and vigor, the pearl, ripped out of its luster into luster and its only. This, genuine. This, authentic. The extraction of the real from the salt is a process of patience that begins with the beginning. That begins with small slips under the conscious self. Patience. Into beginning. Begin. Some new whole, individual divisions. What is it then to move into future's past? The present, the present of pearls is always wrapped in shell, in salt, in ribbon. Into ratios of self distilled out of luster. This is the pearl in its clarity. This blank conscious patience. This, the crystal ball, future-lipped and brimming. Look closer. Look clearly. Trace curvatures with your index and put your hands all over. What's next? What's to see? The lust for knowing. What's next? What's possible? Light and something lustrous. Give a little shake. A magic aid. A turn to infinity with a wish and some faith. To believe in the self and what's outshelled. To be the present and be beyond. When the question is missing its dimension on some plane beyond. And looking for what's plain to see and what's missed. I've slipped sleepward and back again. And learned to unmask delight and looked over the brim and brink. And this, what's next is here. The reddened cheek. The spaces between the ask of breath and its abyss. Ribboning into beginning. Brim and vigor. Arms outstretched and clasping. Oh, goodness. Thank you so much, Abby. One more round of applause, please, for Abby. Okay. So we have another reader for you tonight, and it is Patricia Humienik. Um, She is the daughter of Polish immigrants, a writer, editor, and a performer based in Seattle, Washington. She serves as the events director for the Seventh Wave and works in the Office of Equity and Justice in the graduate programs at the University of Washington. She is working on her first book, Anchor Baby. Find Patricia on Twitter at J-E-J underscore S-E-N. Keep that in your brains and also keep the round of applause going as we welcome Patricia to the stage. (laughs) 
everybody. Do you also feel a little more in your body like I do after hearing Abby read? I feel like I can feel my feet a little bit. Thank you so much for that beautiful reading. I'm so excited to be here. I, too, have not been at or read um, in person in a long time, and it's definitely making me emotional, too. So thanks, everybody, for turning out tonight. I'm going to read some poems from a book in progress um, called Anchor Baby, and I'm excited to share some of them with you. And thanks again to all the organizers, to Jacoba and to Hugo House, and we've also got our cohort, the rest of our Jack Straw cohort reading next, so you might want to stick around for that. And happy Lit Crawl! You know, we're doing it! I'll start with the title poem, which is called Anchor Baby. I keep close the intonation of my name spoken in my mother's voice. There was a time I let people mispronounce it. I don't remember the sound of my grandfather's voice. I've lost the word for the flower I could be impatient blossom, used to never wear lipstick, now I smear shades of azalea on my lips, I kiss everything, I leave a mark, invocation, as in a prayer I want to repeat, the physicality of it, prayer, kissing, echoes of a younger me, trying to be approved of, I'm not saying I am better now. I look up how to say anchor in my first language. Once, I didn't need to search. Kotfitsa. My mama gave birth to me a month after my parents arrived in the States. It was her first time on a plane. I know nothing of ground, of letting the ship sleep. I fly for hours to visit. If I could bind myself to a place, put cut flowers in a vase, I would thank my mother that way. Instead, I pour the petals out. Thank you. On devotion. Not the splendor of the dead king's baths, but the peacocks demanding devotion Is it devotion to pour a glass of water for your lover? Alone in the back of a candlelit mass in English, not the vaulted frescoes of my childhood basilica, mumbled prayers in Polish, lit a candle for my mother's parents who I never met. I had questions for God. Do you renounce imperialism? Winters ago, on the phone, a friend saying, jealousy is good because it is a form of protection. But what if protection is a form of harm? Winter again snowed in, my lover shoveling flake after flake out my mouth and into the slush pile, a pathway out to where the roads are closed that it rarely snows where I now live, delights and disturbs me, e.g. kiwis ripening in early December. The Midwestern Polish priest, a family friend, 
sends vaccine conspiracy theory videos via WhatsApp. Along the fence, strong lights remind me of snow where white camellias grow instead. That I want to see every body of water, lava, lands I don't know the name for, the Red Sea. Isn't it enough to have seen flamingos pink with feeding in the salt flats, in the driest desert in the world? Sometimes I think of God while washing my feet. I think of where I have not walked, my longing to go further. Thank you. Without further ado, let me tell you a little bit about this Mamma Jamma. So E.J. Co. is the author of the memoir, The Magical Language of Others, published in Ten House in 2020. She is the winner of the Washington State Book Award and the Pacific Northwest Book Award. She is long listed for the Penn Open Book Award and the poetry collection A Lesser Love by Louisiana Press in 2017. She is also the winner of Pleiades Editor Prize for Poetry. Please give it up for E.J. Co. Thank you so much. Um, I can't match your energy, so it's going to come way down. Just We're just going to relax for me. But I want to, but I, I'm not good at that. I, I see so many familiar faces, so thank you for being here, and I hope we can chat after this. I'm going to introduce this incredible writer, C, right now. C is kind of a local legend. Um, When C first moved back to Seattle, I'll always remember this thing that C said. It was, "I, I never noticed before how loud the trees are in Seattle. So whenever I walk around, I think of C, and I think of the sound of the trees. So... C.R. Glasgow is a non-binary, queer, first-generation, Afro-Caribbean American. C.'s work appears in Butch is Not a Dirty Word, The Arrow Journal, Killen's Review, Jack Straw Anthology, and African Wisdom, New Voices Speak Black Liberation, Buddhism and Beyond, with performances with Butch is Not a Dirty Word, Leaf Lit Live, Brooklyn Yop, It's about that time reading series, Lit Crawl Seattle, and forthcoming at the Seattle Public Library. Thank you, (laughs) Sue. Woo! Yes. I am fine with people talking to me. I like to be spoken to and interrupted, so please, as much as you can... You know, through the mask. I know it's a little muffled, but it's fine, so we'll be okay. (laughs) Thank you so much for being here this evening. Herstory. One. Long before. On our own vessels, purpose hinging on the stories of the ones who came before. Pieces overhead in parts, assembled. Two, the journey right before. 
with great reverence for the crown and the passive resistance of the West Indian, the matriarchs rule the land. Mighty Hand and Machete, managers of books and the susu, executor of form and ritual, thirst for piety and perfection, the black protege of the colonizer's troop. Three, right before. Growing arms for countless activities, burdens fall and guardians saunter away. Another failure to thrive. She began to show. On a ferry ride away, utter tucked within her pants, deciding, keep family or let the baby go and lose her mind. What's known wins. She scrawled and tucked all of her into the spine of a teddy bear. She pushed, held him, and let him go, and let him go, and let him go, and kept him near. Four, just before, Tony. 1979, mouths hang dry, stomachs grow accustomed to barren lands which cannot feed another mouth. Not right now. Dying breeds of onlys, of minorities, of the, dis- the blends of distant lands spared, and then there were two children. We went unnoticed for five months, left to soak in endless possibilities of lifetimes remembered, tethered to toes, Funneled cortisol, caffeine, and candy laced between the concoctions of the Caribbean. Her mind floated free of her body. Yet, water cannoned to the floor. The baby was arriving faster than they could prep. This baby came coated in the slime and muck of the child before. Yet, this one would be chosen. Tony couldn't wouldn't, shouldn't bear another child. Five, luck baby. Resilient black women steep deep in manure and the water of bold, boiled eggshells. Slaughter every crevice to keep me from being called fetna, the rhythm of an illness, dashed, for petit clot. Repulsed, she commanded. Wash soot, wash memories, wash him, wash loves you echo, wash the midnight from your backside. Rinse, 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 rinse. Glisten, her reflection. Joy was. What we remember... She often had the mudra of the monarch, fingers coiled within its shell, gripping his sloped shoulders and mind, air waft of musk and expired makeup, nail beds coated in a film of bleach, clean. Tears and screams to soften my landing in case in that last coating of joy. We reared our head with dandelion persistence, would rather salivate for teardrops than pine for rain. Our next reader is 
Jose Luis Montero. Uh, Jose is such a big part of this community, and his work has just been um, everywhere, and you've been on such a roll, so I can't wait to read what you write next. Jose Luis Montero was born and raised in Mazatlan, Mexico, and immigrated to Seattle 25 years ago. He recently completed his first novel, Letters to Telmo, a queer coming-of-age story written in Spanish, and is currently working on a collection of short stories featuring mermaids. Please welcome Jose. Hi, everyone. Thank you. I'm going to be reading two short stories, uh, actually sections of short stories from that uh, um, book about uh, mermaids. And the first one's called Origin. Our ancestors came from the sea. They abandoned the archipelago of Atul in the depths of the Pacific for the safety of this brown, barren landscape that the prophet messenger of the one and only God had the audacity of naming Buenaventura. The elders still talk of Atul, but for countless generations, none of our own have set foot on the atolls. Atul has everything. Atul was everything that Buenaventura is not. Warm, lush, flat. Our people didn't need to work. Mother Earth provided for us. Food crew in abundance without our intervention. The old language didn't have a word for agriculture, labor, or hard, for that matter. Nothing grows in Buenaventura if it's not watered by the sweat of our labor. That's why we learn how to fish. The rifts and cliffs that surround the Bay of Buenaventura have not been kind to us. They may protect us against the inclement wind, the tides, but fish don't come close to the shore. We must go deep into the ocean to catch them. We became seafarers out of necessity. We are good at it. Some venture to say that we could even find our way back to Atul, but that's impossible, for Atul, as we knew it, is no more. In the old language, Atul meant gift from the ocean, but what the ocean gives, it can also take back. And it did. First came the tremor, then the waters rose. Those who listened to the prophet were saved. Those who did not had to deal with the consequences. It was a long journey, but the prophet made us realize that the one and only God, in all his mercy, chose us bring us here. He saved our lives, but we had wronged him and still had to atone for the sins. Buenaventura was our punishment for leading our lives in a tool without purpose, without effort, without shame. Buenaventura was the place we came to expiate our sins, where we would learn to appreciate what it takes to be alive, where death would not be a punishment but a relief. Buenaventura means good fortune in the language of the prophet, our new language. How ironic. The elders said that no one can escape their own fate. Fate has brought us here, and it is fate that has brought them as well. 
Legend tells that the ones left behind in Atul didn't perish, that the gods of the sea claimed them, punished them for not preventing us from living, for, an, for allowing us to listen to the prophet and follow his new god, and for that, they are angry. They have learned to live underwater, have become our predators. They keep looking for us, calling us, haunting us. Their chant is the melody of the old language, the one we can no longer utter, yet somehow we have not forgotten. It hypnotizes us and sends us adrift in the middle of the ocean and into their arms. They want to take us back with them to Atul, or what is left of it under the waters. But we know better. Unlike them, we will perish. They are jealous, jealous of our new faith. They are mad, mad for not listening to the messenger of the one and only God, mad for staying behind and meeting their horrific fate. No one knows how to escape their wrath, but the fog presages them. That's why we avoid sailing where the fog, when there is fog. That's why we avoid Los Peñones, the fog-laden islets with slabs of cracked rod jutting out of the ocean, devoid of life, bleak, cursed. Many of our own have perished there, their corpses nowhere to be found. We don't look for their remains anymore, for we know they took them. They taunt us. They provoke us. We hide from them. We fear them, and in our common fear, we found comfort, hope, redemption. Our last reader tonight is Greg November. So, Greg is just amazing. <laughs> I feel like Greg's just a master of craft, and pretty soon we'll all be carrying his book around and attending his craft talks on this stage. So, um, yeah. Originally from the Northeast, Greg November has called Seattle home since 2010. He teaches at North Seattle College and Highline College and reads submissions for New England Review. His stories have most recently appeared in Boulevard, Carve, Hawaii Pacific Review, Epiphany and Jute, among other places. He has an MFA from UC Irvine. Please welcome Greg. Well, howdy, everybody. Can you hear me? Is that good? Thank you so much, EJ, and thanks to the Hugo House folks and the Lit Crawl folks and everything. This has just been uh, a great evening, and I'm really excited to be standing in front of people. I haven't been out in front of people reading. I haven't had to put shoes on um, to do a reading in a while, so I'm excited for all of that. What I'm going to read tonight is the beginning of a story called Decoys, um, and if you're interested in hearing the whole thing, it will uh, soon be part of a, a podcast from Missouri Review. So just find me after the reading, and I'll let you know um, when that comes out. This is Decoys. When I was eight, my father sat me on his lap, and together we, we drove a Caterpillar D9 through the front door of our house. We rumbled up the steps, bashed through the doorway, and 
squinted in the spray of dust and paint, reflecting orange light from a sun that had just peaked above the horizon. Then somewhere in the living room, my father seemed to have second thoughts. He stopped, wrapped an arm around me so I wouldn't vibrate off the machine, and struggled to get the thing into reverse. For years after, whenever my mother told the story, she'd screw up these details. Have I ever told you about the time Ellis stole a bulldozer and drove it through our home? She said through, like we'd tore out the back and into the yard. But having only made it as far as the front room, it was more like he'd driven it into our house. But that's not how things started out. For a while, our life just sort of simmered. My mother had been a folk singer and then an interior designer, although by the time I was in third grade, she had a part-time job at a local elementary school teaching slow kids how to read. She never called them slow, although I heard my father use the word a time or two. He ran the warehouse for R. Frank Burroughs, a local flooring contractor, although when he was home, he spent most of his time in a workroom upstairs painting duck decoys. I was their only kid. We lived in a new and unfinished subdivision called Winding Pines in those open dry lands east of Solvang. There were no pine trees anywhere and few trees of any species more lush than the wasted sourwood in our front yard, a thing I used to lay underneath and imagine was a giant sequoia. The only completed part of Winding Pines was its circuitry of paved roads, trafficked mostly by industrial machines and the few other residents tempted by early bird discounts like my parents, who'd moved in soon after I was born, the summer before a scheduled grand opening that never actually happened. For most of a decade, Winding Pines remained in a constant state of semi-completion, each finished moved-in home flanked by framed skeletons, house halves, and empty lots. Construction machinery ruled the grounds, along with mounds of gravel, dead-end paths, and thousands of orange cones. The whole place had the feel of a never-to-be-finished purgatory. But the roads were glorious. Paved, smooth, wide, free. For a kid with a bicycle on summer break, it was paradise. From all over came the sounds of slow, perpetual home-building. I rode in the middle of the street, navigating around rumbling excavators, compactors, loaders, and earth movers of all kinds, greeting the operators of these machines with wheelies and breathless hoots in the wind. I pedaled fast for stretches and then coasted, weaving back and forth, circumnavigating the neighborhood's roadways, buzzing by finished and unfinished structures, gravelly lots, occasionally bouncing over curbs and then down dirt paths until dead-ending at some giant machine flanked by orange flags stuck in the ground, and lengths of wood and aluminum stacked beside unmarked, shrink-wrapped skids covered loosely with canvas tarps. Our house was the only completed building on a street called Hydrangea. All the streets had names like that, Hydrangea, Indigo, Morning Glory, all like that. Hydrangea spun off the main road in the back quadrant of Winding Pines. The house itself was a 1,200-square-foot split level with a small garage and even smaller yard. Inside is where it simmered. 
my parents, at least the versions I had access to, were always either coming out of a fight or gearing to enter one. An insistent pall filled our home, a vapor of apprehension and discontent, but I never actually saw my parents fight. There was no yelling, no throwing, no hitting, just that vapor, almost a taste which some days seemed like it originated from the surrounding business of construction and excavation, other days from the deep geologic expanses beneath everything. Oh, wow. Can we just thank the readers one more time? That was amazing. All right, folks. Gather around, gather around, because we have our final event of Lit Crawl. No! But that is okay. It is going to be a great one. So give a warm, wonderful welcome to our guest of honor, our Washington State Poet Laureate, Rena Priest. Now, CEM, Ochilixen Quenis Natachalitiakaias, Sahuelthanats and a snatch of Chlamisen. Thank you for that beautiful welcome. And I'm just really pleased to be here with you tonight to share some poetry for Lit Crawl 2021. Woo! <laughs> yeah, so I guess I'll start it off with some poems from my second collection, Sublime Subliminal. The title poem of the collection is actually called Sublime Subliminal, and it is a homage to poetry. The bridge is cerebral and phrenic, a mysterious reflex. When you put it to your lips, it is lexical. You convulse. The bitterness is extra, like an impulse to discuss politics at length. But the aftertaste is a touch of your tongue to the silky dream spun by Remedios Varro. There is cooing in your amygdala. A feather falling from the balcony conjures the scent of Nagchampa. It is arousal. It is stimuli to which you respond instinctually. Dig west, young Jim, says the scrawl in a grand central terminal tunnel. Then suddenly, dirt under your nails is trending, transitional, initial, impending. Just give us a decision task, and we will act exactly as the officers of thought say we ought. But between you and me, a tunnel is also a bridge. Each maintains opposition on both sides of a threshold. I know it is we who control the water, but the storms are deviants governed by our demons. Kitty cat, you shall strut the psyche like a catwalk. Stylishly, quietly unite the shores. Calladita se ve mas bonita is what the storm lords give as their excuse to call the floods. But we use love and math to build a span with cadenary curves in harmony with the universe. The bridge is spiritual and tangible. It holds up, it comes across on breath, our sacred verbal cable. So because we're getting close to Halloween, I'll read my slasher film poem. It's called Indistinct Features, and each of these poems in this collection has the name of a famous person and a a phrase that is not in English. Um, And so the famous person, and there are like 20 other things that you're supposed to include in each of these poems. They're all written around the form of 20 Little Poetry Projects, which is an invented form by an Arizona poet named Jim Zimmerman. 
Um, but anyways, this one, the famous person is Tom Savini, who is the, he's the godfather of gore. He's like the original slasher movie guy. So anyway, indistinct features. Your face is a movie screen. There are two matinees and three features every day. Your smile incites the theremin, to which I react with acumen. You were one thing, now another, tasted like sugar, now like butter. Mr. Tom Savini, sultan of splatter, godfather of gore. The orchestra can see you around that corner, behind that door, cooking up some violence. The violins are going crazy, and I will react with the antonym of acumen when you come to slay me. But the angels will sing a chromatic hymn when your demons come for you, to do you like Mercutio, find you a grave man tomorrow. YOLO, the kids will say, there's something about an open grave that makes me amorous, libidinous, downright horndog AF. Gotta replace a life with a life. Gotta get in the pudding club. I'll give you the sweet pearl of my sympathy, swathed in the knacker of my spiritual oyster, mounted in a shining ring. Poke a hole in the curtain between the living and the dead. Now it's a peep show for your soul. If you peek, you'll see the day where we all go back to analog. Colloids and emulsions on reels instead of coitus and emotions in files. Tomaten often augen oben. Images flicker 24 times per second across your face. I can't keep hold of your features. There's a feather where your mouth is supposed to be. It flutters when you say, Oh, come on, baby, don't look at me that way. So the foreign language phrase in that poem um, is German, and it means you have tomatoes on your eyes, which is like a phrase they say you're not seeing things clearly. It's kind of fun. All right, I'll read one from my first collection, and then we'll move on to new poems. Or maybe I'll read a couple from this collection. Yeah, why not? Old time's sake. Desire is a scissor, searching, us, searching for us at the ends of loose threads, tucked, unraveling into a luster, a bliss-faced blush across 17 muscles to smile and 43 muscles to frown, unraveled into a dazzle, a tuft of down swirling from the apex where none can plant their flag. It holds us, this shine-muck electric fence. We hold it for the jolt and throb of fingers buzzing in our blood. The spool unwound, bound up in new seams. We find we can't let go, even for life. It is a parallel striped longing leading off into the distance, so far off that the two lines seem to join at the horizon, but never really do. They just stay the exact same distance apart. It is the unnavigable distance of want. What does it mean, little guru, this lopsided enlightenment, the night's firmament collapsing into a single hot moment? Does it dull your senses forever? Lit Crawl Seattle and Hugo House hosted this event on October 17th. You'll find the full event and other great Seattle area talks on our website, kuow.org slash speakers. While you're there, subscribe to our podcast and share your comments. Thank you for listening. 
Tune in again soon. Thank you.